It's my favorite. I love the opportunity to be together and to celebrate new life in Christ. And it is a perfect Sunday to finish up our Shine sermon series from the last, uh, from last week, the beginning of the year. Last week we talked about the beauty of the message of Isaiah. Isaiah is a book in the Old Testament, and it's kind of long, and it covers hundreds of years. Um, Isaiah wrote some of it, and others took prophecy that Isaiah had made and, and put it in there, and there's all kinds of great theological depth in the book of Isaiah. There's beautiful calling of Isaiah, and there's, it really, it's just a story of a broken people, a story of a people who didn't want to follow after God, and so they ended up broken. And Isaiah had warned them, you have to be following after God, or this is what's going to happen. You're going to end up in captivity. You're going to end up exiled. You're going to end up being ruled by other nations. And they said, it's cool. We'll do it our way. And so the people of God held in captivity were seeking freedom. But Isaiah, all throughout the book, has this undertone of hope, of what could be of what might be if the people of God would just get a hold of what the Lord was trying to teach them. And it did. It came, after a long time it came, freedom had finally come to the people of Israel and they're headed back to the city of Jerusalem, to Zion, to the place where God's spirit dwells. The city where God's spirit was rich and free. His glory shone so brightly that the sun wasn't even needed. That's metaphorical, by the way. But that's how much God's light was shining into the city. He was making them a bright spot among the nations so that all of the people in the world would be drawn to them like a magnetic force. And they were. They bought gifts. They, they came and worshipped their God. They traveled through the city. Exchanges were made. Treaties were brought about. The people of God were thriving for the time when they allowed God's light to shine, not only upon them, but through them. They weren't just a city of light. They weren't just supposed to be a people basking in the light of a glorious God. Spurs. They were called out to be a people of light, transfers of the light that God had given them. I'd like for you to stand with me this morning, if you don't mind, and we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 60 today, beginning in verse 15. Though you were once despised and hated, with no one traveling through you, I will make you beautiful forever, a joy to all generations. Powerful kings and mighty nations will satisfy your every need as though you were a child nursing at the breast of the queen. And you will know at last that I, the Lord, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Israel. I will exchange your bronze for gold and your iron for silver, your wood for bronze and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. Violence will disappear from your land and desolation, the desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls and praise will be upon the lips of all who enter them. 
No longer will you need the sun to shine by day nor the moon to give its light by night for the Lord your God will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set. Your moon will not go down for the Lord will be your everlasting light. Your days of mourning will come to an end. All of your people will be righteous. They will possess their land forever. For I will plant them there with my own hands in order to bring myself glory. The smallest family will become a thousand people and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. And at the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So the question is, how does this all happen? I mean, it's, it's really nice in theory. It's nice to think that a broken people who have been exiled become redeemed of God, the light of God shines upon them, and then they begin to transfer that light to other places. It'd be really great to think that it always happens that way. Um, but, but the real question today is how do, how do we become a people of light? We use that terminology often. The Bible talks about light over 200 times about Christ being our light, about God creating light. Even in the moments where Jesus is predicting his own death, sitting among his disciples, he reminds them, believe. Believe in the light that is with you right now. Why? Why do we believe that Jesus is light? So that we too can become children of light. It isn't just about enjoying the light of our God, which we do have the beautiful and amazing opportunity to do, but it's about becoming a people of light. The light of God not just shining upon us, but then we become transfers. We become light shiners. In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 17, we read that verse, but we're going to home back in there today because I think this gives us the key to understanding what does it mean for us to be people of light. For us to be a people who are shining forth. He says, I will exchange your bronze for gold, your iron for silver, your wood for bronze, and your stones for iron. I will make peace your leader and righteousness your ruler. Will you leave that up there, Ryan? Okay, so for us, we're going, okay, listen, Pastor Rachel, I don't really have a lot of wood. Then I, I mean, unless you've been playing Catan. Like, I don't have a whole lot of wood. That needs to become bronze. If you guys don't know what Settlers of Catan is, look it up later. It's a lot of fun. It's a board game. So, like, I don't have a lot of wood that, that needs to be made bronze or bronze that needs to be made gold, even though it would be really nice to have some gold. I don't, I don't get this. Like, I, I don't need all of these things. This is what the Lord is telling them. I am going to exchange your stuff, and I'm going to make it better. God's in the business of exchanging things. Think about your life before Christ. Those who are being baptized today, think about it. Maybe it was weeks ago, maybe it was months ago. What has God been exchanging in you? Oh, I can think about all the things that God's been exchanging in me, the things he's exchanging in me now. This promise doesn't end. The Lord continues to say, you are going to be a people of light, therefore I am going to take what is broken in you and I am going to make it whole. I'm going to take what's mediocre, what's okay. I mean, it's good that, that it, you know, it's, it's good that you've got some stones, like that's, that's a good thing, like, but I'm going to make them iron. 
I'm going to take this common thing that's just every day in your life, and I am going to make it great. And who is he going to make it great for? It's for. It's for him. And we need to give it back to him. His glory shines. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His peace will make us one. His peace will make us one. You know, I, I really appreciate that the Lord is in the upgrading business. I do. When I worked for Extreme Nazarene Missions, I traveled a whole bunch. This, uh, this is a side note. It wasn't in my notes. That's okay, though. So this week, Google Maps sent me a list, um, like sent me a map of the United States and all the places that I'd been this year. And I looked at it. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, it is tracking me. But also, like, it's, you know, it, it showed me. It was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I did go to this place or that. That's right. I was in Kansas City for this thing. Or I was, you know, and so it, it's showing me where I was. But I traveled a lot when I was with, um, when I was with a missions organization. So I was in and out of South America. I traveled to Africa and, and just all, all over the place, across the United States. And um, I remember there were a couple times where, because I mostly traveled alone, where they would say, um, Ms. Kuhn, could you please come to the desk? And I'd say, yeah, sure. And so I would go up, and they'd say, unfortunately, we've overbooked this flight. And I'd go, oh, yeah, well, that stinks for you. Um, and they'd say, but we wanted to let you know that um, we've been able to rearrange some seats, but that means that we would need to upgrade you for free. And I'm like, praise the Lord, because really, this is what, this is what airlines think we look like. I think there's a picture yeah, um, <laughs> that's what airlines think we look like, right? Because you get in there, and I, got, I have really long legs compared to my torso. Like, I got this itty-bitty torso and these really long legs. And so I get on a plane, and I'm like, you're trying to figure it out. Or, like, I can't imagine um, either of the Simpson guys, Tim or Jake, trying to sit on an airplane. Like, I can't even imagine. Like, there's just no legroom. Um, and so when they upgrade me, I'm going, yes, this is awesome. This is great. This is good. It's for my benefit. Maybe not necessarily for the benefit of others. But God does it that way. God is upgrading us. And if you think for a minute that I'm talking about physical blessings, that's not what this is about. Like, don't leave here today and go, oh, Pastor Rachel said the Lord's going to be upgrading me to a Camaro. Honey, that is not the way God works, okay? Like, that's, that's not how God works. Um, <laughs> God is, I'm sorry, Shannon, I just crushed his dreams. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> that, that God instead is working in us. The beauty of his spirit. Our upgrade goes from our humanity to making us more like Christ. In verse, uh, in verse 17 at the very end, it says, I will make peace your leader, and righteousness your ruler. When I read this verse, it rocked my world. Now, for other people, you may go, oh, yeah, well, that's nice. Peace be our leader. We, we have a really shallow idea of what peace is and what peace looks like. Now, when we think of peace, if you take a moment and you just think, what, is, what does peace mean to me? This week, we... We watch the news and we look at the devastation in Iran, the brokenness of leadership, the hostility. We look at a plane crash where 60 Canadians have lost their lives. 
the devastation that's happening around our world, and we go, peace looks like the opposite of that. That's absolutely true. Some of us who are moms, and my guess is that dads feel this way sometimes too, you walk into your house after a long day of work and you go, how did this happen? I literally left you here for three minutes. How did you destroy my home? And the kids are fighting and the Xbox is turned way too loud and, and your kids are eating everywhere. Why can't they just eat in the kitchen? <laughs> and you're going, Lord, if I could just have a little bit of peace. <laughs> if this chaos wasn't around me, if I wasn't about to lose my ever-loving mind. Peace. Or, like our beautiful Margie Fox. Some of us sit next to a hospice bed. Holding the hand of someone that we have loved our whole lives. And we watch them as they quietly and peacefully cross from this world into the next. As their eternity takes on a different place. Our time is so short. God bring them peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And yes, it means all of the things that we just talked about. But it means so much more than that. If you're part of a life group where you're going to be meeting this week, I sent your life group leaders a video. Have them share it with you. It's phenomenal. It talks about the beauty of what shalom truly means. This Hebrew word didn't just mean you're going to get along with your neighbor. And it didn't just mean that your kids were going to be obedient. It didn't just mean that there was going to be an absence of war, though it did mean all of these things at different times throughout Scripture. Shalom has a great, big, large, huge, encompassing definition that involves all things, from the physical to the spiritual to the emotional worlds that we live in. To have shalom or to make shalom means to make complete or for it to be made whole. It refers to something that has a whole lot of pieces that may be in a state of disarray. And when all those pieces come together, that is shalom. In scripture, it uses the word shalom whenever it talks about the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. It says all of the pieces came together in this, in this perfection. The pieces that were, were once broken were now made whole again. Shalom was brought upon the city gate. Or I, I think about the puzzles that we've been building at our house this week. Joel got a whole set of Star Wars puzzles. We put the last piece in. It's almost like whoever gets to do the last piece. Is that that way at your house when you do puzzles? Whoever gets to do the last piece, it's like a celebration. Oh, it's finally made whole. All of the pieces are where they're supposed to be. I'm not sure, sure that shalom works for Star Wars puzzles, but it's being made whole. Shalom can be about the well-being of a person. It can be about the brokenness of relationships. Scripture talks about when an animal of, of yours goes into your neighbor's yard and poops. No, it doesn't say that. But 
When you go and you make it right, that's making shalom with your neighbor. Actually, in the scripture, it talks about you going and, and your, um, your livestock goes over and tramples somebody's field down. You go over and you pay them. You say, dude, I'm so sorry. i got to keep my cow under control. And you're, been, you're mending a relationship. What was broken has been made whole. That is shalom. When rival kingdoms in the Old Testament would make shalom, it wasn't just about them saying, okay, we're not going to fight anymore. And for those of us that are parents or grandparents or have nieces or nephews or literally have ever seen a child, we know that just because two children are not physically in the act of fighting, that there may not be peace among them. Shalom isn't just about not fighting with one another, but it's whenever bridges are built between two nations. Trade ensues. They agree to be on each other's side. They work diligently to keep their relationship the way that it should be, whole, complete. So we go back and ask ourselves, when true shalom is our leader, when peace really is guiding everything that we do. What was broken now becomes restored to wholeness. It can be in our lives. It can be in our homes. In our relationships. In our hearts. When we begin asking the question, okay, God, this brokenness in me, this brokenness in this relationship that I'm facing, this brokenness in the, in the body of Christ, this hurt that I'm feeling, this devastation, this loss, how do I mend and make it whole? We're really lucky that we have a scripture that tells us exactly what to do about that. You do the hard work of going to that person and you talk to them about it. Man, that sounds tough. Yeah, you know what? Peace is not easy. So if anything in this sermon, you've gone, oh yeah, piece of cake, I totally have this. And Sam, I'm going to embarrass you for just a second. Will you wave to us, Sam? That's Samantha Williams. She works at our daycare and um, is visiting with us today, which I'm really excited about. Sam just got back from boot camp. And uh, if you shake your hand, she's got a firm grip right now because they've kicked her rear end. You can ask anyone. Take one of our vests out for a cup of coffee and sit down with them and ask them, is peace easy? No. It costs us. Peace is hard. It's a difficult work. You have to take a step towards it. Because it's way easier to sit around and gripe. It's way easier to to be frustrated or to be angry than it is to pursue peace, to pursue wholeness. But you know what God says? He says, I want to take all that junk in your life and I want to give you an upgrade. It's free. All the leg room that you want. All you have to do is obey me. God's peace will make us one. God's peace will make us whole. So how does this all tie together? When the Prince of Peace comes into our hearts and our lives, and when peace becomes our leader, we then become the light of God 
shining in the darkness. This scripture isn't up there today, but I'd, it's, it's from Luke chapter 3. We actually were in it over, um, over the Advent season, but it's good stuff. So, wild man John the Baptist comes out of the wilderness with his camel hair and his locust-eating breath, and he, and he starts talking to people about the kingdom of God that has become, and he's baptizing people. He's baptizing them. And Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and I'm going to end down in, in 14. It's not very long, but when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes. That makes me want to get baptized. Who warned you to flee from God's coming wrath? Prove it. Prove it by the way that you live. Prove that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. And don't just say to each other, we're safe because we're descendants of Abraham or because we're Nazarenes or because we got baptized or because we got, not all that's in here, but he can make descendants of Abraham from the very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised and it's ready to sever the root of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asks, what should we do? Because that all sounds really scary. What should we do? And John replied, you make shalom. And he didn't say those exact words, but that's what he's about to say. He says, you have two shirts? Then you give one to the poor. For what was broken has been made whole. Shalom. You have food? You share it with everyone who is hungry. What was broken has now been mended. Shalom. Even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked teachers, what should we do? And he replied, don't collect any more taxes than the government requires. Be honest. Shalom. What should we do? Some of the soldiers asked. John replied, don't take money or make false accusations against people. Be content with what you have. That's a good one. Be content with what you have. Shalom. This, uh, this summer, my family had the opportunity to go to um, the gathering, which is our camp meeting up in St. Mary's. I, everybody should go. Like, just grab a tent, go up there, have fun. It's, it's fantastic. And um, we, we go up to camp meeting, and you don't have to camp. You can just come to the services. That's what they are, services. And, um, and there was this fantastic service where um, there was a speaker that came in. She was a botched abortion, and she began speaking and, and sharing about how um, God had saved her life. And she was a she, she was adopted by a family and, and raised when she really just should have been dead. That was the goal. That was the purpose. And during that service, there were six or seven different families. Mandy Litsky's uh, family is one of those. And each family got up and for two or three minutes talked about their stories of adoption and, and foster care. This is the first time I've shared this story, so I'm going to work real hard to keep it together. And I sat in my seat, and I began weeping and could not stop for hours. Um, not just like minutes, hours. 
of brokenness and weeping. We live at the crossways of two interstates that is one of the highest for drug, drug trafficking in our nation. We have one of the highest rates of children in foster care. And I sat there knowing what the Lord was going to say. I knew it. I knew what he was going to say. And I'm not sure that I was ready for it. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure I'm ready for it today. Chad and I sat down and talked, and it took minutes for us to both agree that the Lord was calling us into this journey of foster care. Last month, we began classes, and we'll be done next month, and we don't know what the journey looks like. What we do know is that there is brokenness in our world that needs shalom. And when we listen, when we listen carefully to the God who speaks to us, he will move us in the direction of his light. He will give us opportunity to be his light, to be his love to broken people. Do I feel equipped? Absolutely not. Zero percent do I feel equipped. Almost every day I sit across the table from Chad and go, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to be good at it. Joel was quite encouraging. We went to the classes, and he said, well, I mean, you're pretty good parents. You know most of this stuff, right? I was like, yes, my teenager thinks I'm a pretty good parent. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! I win. When shalom becomes our focus, when we allow it to be our leader, when we make peace a priority in our lives, not only do we allow the light of God to shine upon us, but we allow the light of God to shine from within us. And transformation happens. Phil is going to be baptized today. And I remember this fall when that man came down and he knelt right here. A broken man who was struggling. And he gave his life to the Lord. And I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek, and I asked Phil if I could share this, and he said that was just fine. The man who walked in the doors today is not the same man who walked in those doors four months ago. He has been transformed completely. His neighbors know it. The guys that he works with know it. I've had people come up to me and go, man, Phil is a different guy. I'm like, heck yeah, he is. You know why? Because God's light shines upon us, and when we follow after the shalom of God and his peace, we then become illuminators of God's light to a broken and devastating world. We are to be children of the light. So stop. Stop sitting around and brewing about stuff that doesn't matter. Seek out peace. Seek out peace. Seek out wholeness. Get into the word of God and do it with other people. Sometimes I'm not very patient. I pray about that fruit of the Spirit a lot. But I don't want to hear any excuses about why you're not part of a life group or why you're not being discipled. We're all busy. I got four kids and a job and, and foster care training, and I got all kinds of junk going on. I'm busy too. We're all busy. Guess what? Everybody's busy. It's about what you're making a priority in your life. Get into the Word of God. 
jump on the Bible app. I listen to it usually in the car when I'm traveling from one place to another. Spend time in the Word. Allow the Word of God to get into you. And the only way that's going to happen is if you're in the Word of God. That's it. God's Word's not going to like magically sprinkle on you like pixie dust. It doesn't happen. You have to be invested. Oh, but when you are. And God begins to speak in you. He heals the brokenness. And we get to celebrate that today. And I am ecstatic. I'd like to invite those who are being baptized to come forward today and those who are reading on their behalf. I'm going to meet you right up here. Everybody behind you is going to celebrate and cheer you on while we do it. I think our kids are coming in too. There they go. Guys, you can sit with your parents. You can sit right down here, down front. We can squeeze everybody in there. Yeah, there we go. Woohoo! Looking good, guys. Miss Karen's coming. Are you guys coming? You could. Go. It's fine. You can come sit up here. Here, Charlie, Heidi, you guys can just come sit up here. You don't even have to find your parents. It's cool. You're going to be awesome. I believe you. Hi, sweet pea. All right. For those who are being baptized today, will you please stand? Dearly beloved, Christian baptism is a sacrament signifying participation by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and incorporation into his body, the church. It's a means of grace proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. The Apostle Paul declares that all who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his death. We are buried with him through baptism so that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too are raised to walk in newness of life. As we have been united with him in his death, we will also be united with him in his resurrection. That'll preach. The Christian faith into which you now come to be baptized is affirmed in the Apostles' Creed. And it's going to be put up there for us if we could all just uh, read along together what we believe. We believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen.
So for those of you that are not too interested in what the Nazarene manual has to say or you didn't understand any of what I just read, I'm going to make it real easy for you right now, okay? So what's about to happen is we believe in baptism that there is a means of grace. It isn't just something we do. We're not just doing a representation or a reenactment or we're not just getting in the pool because it's cool. It's actually quite warm today. We're doing it because we believe that God shows up in that very moment. And you'll know. You'll know. He shows up in that very moment. And as they go down into the water, what that represents is death. Death to the old life. Death to the junk that's holding you down. Death to everything in your life that doesn't look like Jesus. You are dying in that water today. You are dying. I won't hold you down that long. (laughs) And when you come back up, you are being raised into new life in Jesus Christ. You are new. You are a new creation. So, for you gentlemen today, will you be baptized into this faith? If so, answer, I will. Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you believe that he saves you now? If so, answer, I do. As a member of the church of Jesus Christ, will you follow him all the days of your life, growing in grace and the love of God and your neighbor? If so, answer, I will. All right, let's get it done.